Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Dick Johnson Racing is in financial trouble again, and David Reynolds talked to us about his upcoming year. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. Find out what's going on in the world of V8 supercars with the V8 Insider. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Dick Johnson Racing is again in financial strife after a potential partner, Maury Pickering, has stepped away from the team. It is thought that his business, Finance Easy, was to sponsor the team this season. The team met this week to discuss the options as they now look at starting the season without a sponsor and perhaps for the first time without a Johnson behind the wheel. As the team is considering a paid driver to help ease the financial burden added to by the introduction of the car of the future. Kyle Reindler has been linked with the team as he's able to bring the fair income shed money along with him. Dick Johnson Racing is now supporting only two cars under their and the Fiori family's racing entitlement contract. This could possibly have neither of the family on the grid in their cars when the series hits the track in Adelaide. Tony Dalberto has confirmed that he'll be linked with Walkinshaw Performance as he is reunited with the Holden brand after spending a couple of years over with Ford Performance Racing support. Last week, as reported, the Gold Coast MPs were meeting to discuss the issues surrounding the Gold Coast 600. While the discussions have remained under wraps, fans have been vocal with the majority calling on event organisers to reach out to IndyCars to try and return them to the circuit which was considered the most successful for the US Open Wheel Series outside of the Indianapolis 500. Shane Van Gisbergen has this week spoken about his return to V8 supercars to New Zealand's TV3. It is going to be, uh, be interesting, the, the reaction in the first few days, but um, you know, as, I, as I said, I think you know, I've done a great job for Ford the last few years, tried, tried my best and won some races and uh, hoping that we can win a few more and hold in the next few. His new team owner, Jonathan Webb, has said that the deal of getting the gears to the team was done very quickly. He sort of uh, knocked on the door after Christmas and you know, he had a, an off-season to think about things and, and where he was going and um, you know, just got together and here we are. Now you can watch the full interview at www.3news.co.nz. Rod Nash has told the V8 Insiders what is his not negotiable for season 2013. Yeah, got to win the championship. 
that's absolutely been on my lips and um, and uh, <clears throat> I think it was always the natural progression for um, for FPR. They certainly had good focus on it last year, but you know, Frosty's been beaten at the door there for um, a number of years now um, as a as a runner up, and uh, and Will's come in and done a great job too. But you know, I, I just think it's. It's very much time that, you know, and then again, we nearly won Bathurst under the R&R of PR cars. So um, uh, it's fair to say we're knocking on the door, but, you know, you can't just knock on the door all the time. So so the straight answer is um, absolute um, um, stop at nothing, go for the championship. So And they're working very hard beyond the scenes on, on uh, simulation, um, you know, just, um, you know, things that go wrong at pit stops, um, uh, just a whole host of things. Um, they're all, the drivers are up at Noosa this week um, with our um, physicist and uh, they're, they're on a training camp. So they're all um, being, um, you know, put through the mill for, to test their fitness. And um, so, you know, there's a lot being done to try and um, just be at the premium end to uh, win a few more races, which will win your championship, basically. Gary Rogers Motorsport has launched their 50 years in motorsport with a new logo celebrating Rogers' time in racing. For Gary Rogers, it began in an Appendix J in 1963, and this year he'll again be launching the main game career of another young driver with Scott McLaughlin stepping up alongside the returning Frenchman Alex Premer. On this week's White Flag Lap, we speak to Ford favourite David Reynolds about his career and his outlook on life in the first part of our in-depth discussion. My, my lawyer once told me, life's too serious to take seriously. Up next on the show, Mark Fogarty and John Bannon will look at the changes for 2013. And finally... The latest edition of VADX magazine is now available. Find out about Ford Performance Racing's Car of the Future, the Jason Bright story, and the background into the Stone Brothers and Erebus marriage. You can find it in stores or online at the Mag Store for the iPod edition. And that's the news for Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Auto Action and, of course, the Age News Paper. In fact, the uh, entire Fairfax range, it is Mark Fogarty. Good evening, Mark. Hey there, Craig. Welcome to 2013. What a year it'll be. Joining us is, well, a new man at V8X, John Bannon. Uh, good evening, Craig. How are you? 
I'm very well as well, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing your stuff uh, appearing at V8X in the uh, next issue, which I believe is at the printers now. Yes, no, it's exciting times, so uh, bring it on. Mm. Well, it has been exciting times, folks. They haven't let you have an enjoyable Christmas break because people just keep wanting to break news on you. It's pretty much been the busiest and most eventful (laughs) off-season January I can remember. Normally there's very little happening, but uh, it's it's all been go and there's still more to come. It's not over yet. No, it's what I guess is the uh, story that's leading everyone's interest is what's happening at Dick Johnson Racing because at the moment they've got a wreck with uh, Dick Johnson Racing. There's a wreck which they're using, which is the Fiori wreck, and it's highly likely as we speak now there won't be a Fiori or a Johnson in those cars come Adelaide. It's looking very grim. It has looked grim before. We're used to Dick Johnson Racing being plunged into some sort of financial crisis. It's had three rescues since 2008 alone. Um, It needs another one. No money to speak of, no sponsorship, and uh, one of their main hopes for investment. Um, Maury Pickering, a prominent Queensland businessman, prominent master dealer and uh, owner of a finance company, he was announced late last year, as entering into a three-way partnership to keep the team keep to keep the team going, with uh, Steve Brabeck from Crimsafe, a long-time backer of DJR, and Dick Johnson himself. But Pickering, um, we found out, has fallen out of um, contention. He's not investing in the team, and uh, well, the future looks very, very grim. It has before, but never this bleak. It's hard to believe that through all the financial turmoil, John. Dick Johnson Racing won a championship. In fact, in the last, what is it now, five years, they're the only other winner than Triple Eight. Well, Courtney's championship was in 2010. Is that correct? That's Mm. right. So it it is incredible that on the back of that success, they haven't been able to secure, uh, I guess, proper backing for for this season. And uh, for many years, uh, uh, Dick Johnson has relied on his name to, to continue getting those sponsors. And as Fogues alluded to there, every time there has been an issue, he's managed to, to dig himself out of a hole. But I guess I'm interested in um, where where is the, uh, the sponsorship going to come from this time? Mm. It's not out there. It's the toughest sponsorship market anyone can remember. Mm. The... Uh, corporate sector is just not uh, spending marketing, uh, money on marketing and, and sponsorship um, anywhere, to anywhere near the degree it used to. And, um, you know, most teams, most sports, in fact, are suffering. Would V8 Supercars step in anywhere here, folks, and, and help sort of rescue the team, <laughs> for want of a better word? <laughs> uh, no. No. Okay. No. Dick Johnson reportedly last week went to the big bosses, B8 supercars, and I don't know if threw himself at their mercy is the right description, but he went to them and basically said, we you know, we can't afford to get to the first event, the Clipsal 500 at the end of um, February, beginning of March. Um, so signaled that the team was in dire straits and wasn't going to be able to get to the opening of the season. Um, it's, you know, very doubtful um, from reports I've heard that it will get more than one car to the pre-season test on February.
Mm. Now, if you're the Fiori family who are leasing their car or their wreck, sorry, to Johnson, this has an implication potentially on them because ultimately the owner of the wreck is the one that has to cough up the money if there happens to be a no-show. Indeed. If you don't show up for an event, it's a fine of $150,000 per entry uh, per event that you've missed. Um, I know, Jack, some time ago, V8 Supercars didn't like to characterise it as a fine. They had some other fancy term for it. But that's what it is. And it does. And if that keeps going on, um, in a, not a very long time, it gets to the point where, well, basically, um, the licence holders or the owners of the racing entitlement contract will seem to be in breach of the contract and uh, they'll, well, in simple terms, lose their licence. Mm. I believe they go, from memory, they go back to V8 supercars and, uh, well, could either be withdrawn completely or put back on the market. It's a, it's a you know, it's a very serious, very, very serious situation if, if this team or any team can't make it to an event. Mm. Now, the last, that, last time we... Sorry, Craig, you go. Last time we saw this was, of course, when the Marcus Marshall team was around and they got an exemption by going to V8 Supercars and asking the first time and then they missed two more events, which meant it was automatically recalled. At the time, V8 Supercars paid whatever the uh, standard book rate they had set for it just to get the licence out of existence. But this time they've got a bigger problem. They have to be seen to maintain the 28 cars, John. Well, yes. And well, I guess what interests me from a legal point of view as well is can, can the Fioris do anything to, um, I guess, take the, that wreck back um, from from the Johnsons and field their own car? Is that, how does all that work? Do, do either of you know? Well, the problem is it's a new car, isn't it, uh, folks? They're just not enough of them built yet. No, and certainly the two DJR Car of the Future Spec Falcons are, are certainly not completed, and it depends on who you talk to. Um, some uh, sources say that one is nearly completed and the other one is underway. Other sources say neither is anywhere near completion, and um, as I say, at best, one will be ready for the pre-season test. Um, yeah, so there, is, <laughs> there are no cars, effectively. Um, you can't just you know, grab one from someone else because there aren't enough of them, as you say. Everyone's flat out building just enough cars to get to Adelaide. Um, and, and for Fiori and for his racing entitlement contract, the the, the ramifications are, um, are perilous. You know, he has to do something with it or he'll get, you know, drawn into all this because, oddly, he's leaving his licence at DJR, leasing it to them for another season, as he did last year, except last year he drove the car. This year... He's leaving the license with DJR or proposing to, and himself is going off to Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport to drive one of LDM's two cars. So it's a very strange situation. I, I can only think that you know he got such a good deal on the lease that he could afford to do that, and with those proceeds, help you know put a contribution, shall we say, euphemistically, towards getting that second drive with uh, Dumbrell Motorsport. Um, so he's caught in a very difficult position. And ultimately, yes, um, as the wreck owner, he or his family would be liable. It's the only other time I can think of situations like this is, I think Jack Brabham started racing for another team 
even though he had a team on the grid. And Richard Petty was, uh, you know, often racing in other cars when he had his own cars on the grid. But Australian motorsport, I can't remember a time that we've had a driver who's owned another car in another team. That's beyond my memory, yeah. Mm. It's a very unusual situation, but, you know, it was looking good for both parties, um, you know, until this latest DJR crisis landed in our lap. Well, it didn't land in our lap. It's been building, you know, for ages, even if that partnership that was formed late last year had have survived and got through, you know, they were still struggling because they just don't have any major sponsors. You know, they don't have enough money. That, You know, best reliable estimate is that they need $2 million in a hurry to get on the grid for the start of the series and to, and to see their way through the rest of the season, you know, basically on a very low-budget um, operation. Yeah, it is, it is going to be tough. And uh, the bottom line is DJR in 2013, if they can manage to beat the rap, as it were, and get cars to, if not Adelaide, then to the uh, next couple of rounds to ward off the uh, foreclosure or the automatic handback, they're not going to be competitive. And fans that are looking at four, six Fords in the field are not going to be happy that there's only really four. Admittedly, those four should be fairly strong. Dick Johnson is a great survivor. You know, he's survived any number of crises in recent years. You know, the rot really set in in the mid-2000s, I guess, when the West Point sponsorship went south. And he has been a great survivor. He's got, you know, a great brand in both his own name and the name of the team. And it's the most enduring team in V8 supercars. You know, it's heading into, or trying to head into its 33rd year as an entity, by far the oldest team. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the sentimental favourites of the fans, but in this tough economic climate. And, th- and this is, you know, we're, we're finally here in this situation. We're finally seeing the effects of the GFC. You know, we're Australia and V8 Supercars were protected from that when, you know, when it all collapsed everywhere else, 2008 and certainly 2009 in the rest of the world. Um, V8 Supercars, to some extent, was like Australia, was protected. Um, but it, it's, it's, you know, all coming back on top of us now because of, um, you know, the, the back effects of it that are affecting everyone here. And as I said before, the sponsorship is just extraordinarily tight. So... It's, you know, we're just looking at it in DJR's case, you know, it, it, it's a downward spiral, you know, even if they, you know, do another Houdini act and, and, and get out of this situation, you know, where does it stop? You know, there's, there's just no fat built into their system to be able to, you know, keep just stumbling from one crisis to the next, you know, I, I don't know. I hope it's not the case, but it just looks like really they've run out of rope. Hmm. We need... John? And I guess, does, does this mean that the, the car of the future perhaps hasn't done enough in terms of addressing rising costs in the sport? Not in the short term, no. It's been extraordinarily costly. Longer term, it'll, it, it'll probably it'll contain or maybe reduce costs, but the investment the teams have had to make in, new, in new, not only new cars, but you know, almost entirely re-equipping, you know, everything new rear ends, and I'm talking suspension and transaxle, um, new wheels, um, new brakes, da-da-da-da-da-da. 
um, you know, most of their inventory, which has been built up over many years, has just become redundant overnight. And there's only so much you can, you know, spill, you know, pour into the development series. Um, and of course, you know, with all these cars and bits flooding the market, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a windfall for the development series teams. If you want to put an entry into the Dunlop series, I would have thought that this year is the year to do it. It'll never be cheaper. Um, but that doesn't help the team. So they've had to, you know, expend huge amounts of money, you know, for a big team like FPR, Triple Eight, even HRT, you know, you're talking probably, uh, at, at, well, a million to two, to million, depending on how many cars, a million to two million dollars just to, to re-equip in cars plus everything else, you know. So it's been very expensive to get into Car of the Future in the initial instance. It hasn't lived up to its, you know, huge cost reduction billing. It probably will long term, and they, yes, they will be better cars for it. But um, it's, what we have here, overall for the sport, and, and Dick Johnson's financial plight is just symptomatic of the underlying ills of the sport, we have a perfect storm of everything he didn't want to happen at the moment. Mm. We need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Plenty more when we return. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Each week, find out what's going on in the world of V8 Supercars with the V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, Mark Fogarty and also John Bannon with me, Craig Ravel. And we've talked about the financial crisis over at DJI in the first segment, but a few other things that have been happening. Uh, finally, Tony D'Alberto has announced he's going back to Holden. More interesting to me than that is he's going back to Walkinshaw Performance. Now, folks, this is an interesting one because... There's a lot of people over the last five to seven years that have left Walkinshaw Performance, and we haven't seen them coming back with any strong relationships or strengthening of ties. On the surface, it looks like a big risk, doesn't it? As you say, uh, Walkinshaw Racing Group's customers have been fleeing as fast as their little feet would carry them um, as the whole operation descended into its worst slump ever led by HRT, but Delberto, who has strong Holden links through his family, you know, they own country dealerships, um, has gambled on going back, and it may be a gamble that pays off because Clayton is putting more effort and more money finally into, you know, pulling particularly HRT back up by its bootstraps to become a, a rival to Triple Eight and FPR again. Um, we don't know if their new car of the future spec Commodore, VF Commodore, the new look Commodore, is going to be competitive, but, you know, if anyone can make a decent Commodore, you'd think it it would be them starting from scratch, but um, it, it's still a big bet. But for Delberto, I, I, I guess, you know, there's just no more room at the FPR in, is there? You know, they've got their own, you know, integrated four-car team now. They've expanded about as much as they could. He was associated with, or aligned with FPR um, last year. Um, but, you know, he was very much, a, you know, a, a satellite addition to it. He was getting, you know, technical help and, and bits from FPR, but he wasn't, you know, integrated.
integrated into that three-car effort like Charlie Schwerkholz's new entry is as a genuine fourth entry, uh, fourth car for FPR. So for Delberto, there's, you know, it probably makes business sense, but he's betting on uh, Walkinshaw Racing being able to build a competitive um, new generation Commodore. Mm. John, one of the amazing things is that the HRT slump hasn't been because Ford have got their act together. It's purely been because we've seen Triple Eight just absolutely come in and dominate the market and dominate the Holden market. And when you see autograph sessions now, it's huge lines at Triple Eight. And the lines at HRT over the last few years have been, I won't say as poor as Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, but they've certainly been closer to them that end of the grid than they have been at the front. That's cruel, Craig. It's accurate, though, folks. It's cruel, though. Good one. I, I, I think also, though, Craig, one thing I've always noticed about Triple Eight is they've been very accessible to fans. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that HRT are not, but uh, often at events they'll have security guards and, and don't seem to overly like people peering into the garage and and i just wonder how fans react to that i am a bit puzzled as to why um that they are i guess taking on extra customers uh and like the dalbertos just in i know it's extra money for them but it's also effort on their behalf and when they're trying to concentrate on getting uh their two cars at the front of the grid on a regular basis it seems to me a bit of an unnecessary distraction. It's an interesting balance, though, isn't it, folks? Because you have to have the production size or, and the economy, amount of stuff to get the economy. economy yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's worth money to them to you know, be fielding or helping field at least an extra car. You know, they're getting money from Delberto, um, and it's, you, know, you have the economies of scale of producing... Are producing more bits because Walking Tour Racing is not just two cars. Remember, it's not just HRT. It's also um, super cheap auto racing with Russell Ingle, who's you know batting batting up again. Um, it is a stretch of resources, as John said. Yes, but it's one they have to make because they need income. Um, they need to build up a, a supply of parts, and you know they they also need the, the feedback from another team. Know, to get these cars right. My understanding is that the Walkinshaw family themselves, that's Martin Walkinshaw and Ryan Walkinshaw, the son of the late Tom Walkinshaw, and Martin is his widow, um, have actually had to put their hands in their pockets and make a considerable investment in the team um, to invest in its future because it cannot keep going on as it was You know, for the official factory team of Holden to be languishing where it has been for... Some several years now, it has to be said, really, except for the odd Bathurst win. Um, it's just not acceptable, and it's been completely overshadowed by Triple Eight. I mean, you know, I'm sure Holden are happy that Holden still is doing most of the winning, but really, you know, what needs to be up there fighting with Triple with Eight and also FPR is, is Holden Racing Team, and, and it hasn't. Um, There's some prospect that they've been putting a lot more resources into into the car, into into people. They were sadly lacking engineering talent. You know, most of it left in the bad years. You know, that's come back. But um, Steve Hallam, he's had his year of grace. He has to deliver as the as the boss of HRT. 
Waikato this season, that's for sure. Mm. Now, Triple Eight are still running two cars in-house, but it's really, in my view, a six-car strategy because they've got Techno and Dumbrell now coming much closely, uh, much closer in alignment to them. So uh, whilst uh, we see FPR on four and we see the four now under the HR, uh, under the Walkinshaw banner, Triple Eight had just gone two better. We're going with six and we're going to get all that data and going to work across that a lot closer. Well, again, it's economies of scale. Uh, the more cars they build, the cheaper they can be and you know the more stuff they can sell the more money they make i honestly don't think really best will in the world i don't think they're going to get much feedback and much useful information from techno nor particularly um from lucas dumbrell motorsport really can't see that that you know it's it's this is about economics Mm. techno have done well for a small operation um and you know all credit to them, you know, what Jonathan Webb particularly did last year um, was exceptional, but, you know, he has some good technical people led by Bruce Jenkins there, um, who's, you know, steeped in top-level European racing as an engineer, and they left well enough alone. They basically ran the Triple Eight package and didn't didn't mess with it, unlike Paul Morris a couple of seasons ago. And if you do that, you know, you have some prospect of doing well but you're not going to challenge the top teams. John, your thoughts? Not, not even with a quality driver in Shane Van Gisbergen this year. I, they could really surprise. Uh, as folks mentioned there, they had a very uh, strong 2012, and uh, they've got that extra year of Triple Eight behind them, and now they're gone. They've got Van Gisbergen, uh, who we all know is highly capable, uh, and you'll probably really relish uh, the opportunity of uh, perhaps being away from a, a more high-profile squad uh, where he can just uh, get on with his business. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see just how high up the grid um, Techno are this year. And, of course, with, with the car of the future, we don't know exactly how everything's going to pan out uh, at the end of the day. Discipline is an interesting subject, isn't it, folks? And it's going to be very important to the success of Techno Motorsport? Well, I bet the farm on Shane Van Gisbergen. Not sure I would be. Jury's still out on him. Really out. I mean, kid's, uh, kid's got some issues, to say the least. He's fast, but is by no means a proven race winner. Um, moving from what was Stone Brothers Racing to Techno Autosports. I'm sorry, with the best will in the world, it could only at best be described as a sideways move. And well, I'm not so sure. And this whole circus surrounding Van Gisbergen during the off-season has just been extraordinary. You know, he's gone from being burned out to all he wants to do now is do burnouts. You know, we ended the season. You know, he was shot for all money. Can't do it anymore. Oh, whoa. You know, I've got to get away. Nothing to do with the team. I'm not leaving the team. No, 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 no. I'm just, you know, I'm over it and I want to go back and muck around with my mates and have a year off in New Zealand. Well, first off, he's signed up for everything that's got wheels over there. V8 Super Tourers, drifting, rallying, you know, 
when suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, miraculously, he's making a comeback with Techno Autosport, driven apparently from behind the scenes by Holden. I mean, this just gets to be, I don't know if it's a spider's web or a viper's nest, but it's a very ugly look. Well, when do you think on. this deal was done, folks? <laughs> a, lot like early, it... a lot earlier than we were, we were led to understand. This like before his farewell? Yeah, yeah. This, this has been going on as far back as last October. But the, it's the... very messy. It was very bad. So, so why deceive the fans by, by having a farewell when you were never intending on, on leaving the sport? That's a very good question, John. A very good question and one that needs to be answered. You can see why V8X snapped this guy up. He's got a probing mind. Mm. The, th- the thing is, though, it, it was an interesting... Under that, under that carrot top, probing mind. <laughs> One of the... Nothing wrong with being a ringer. We, all, we had colour, I, folks. I, all about I, the colour. I didn't use the R word. <laughs> oh, I did. You threw I have it in to. there. Yeah, yeah, I have to. But it, it, the chain of events that has to happen to, for a driver to leave a contract, particularly a contract he only just signed, is quite interesting, and... You'd mentioned a perfect storm before about the uh, financial situation of V8 supercars. That's almost the perfect storm of drivers getting out of a contract, isn't it? It's one of the few ways you could do it and be able to race somewhere else the next year. Uh, Speaking to Rod Nash uh, this week, I said to him, it's interesting, you guys changed ownerships at FBR and there wasn't a peep about uh, potential driver disharmony or drivers wanting to leave because the team was changing. And admittedly, that isn't the motive I'm putting here, but uh, it's certainly right a now, trigger. Smart, no, he, smart, though, he didn't change the corporate entity. Hmm. It's still ProDrive Racing Australia, and it has taken on all the, enti- all the obligations as well as all the <coughs> assets and privileges of the team. So um, I wouldn't be so cynical to suggest that they designed it that way to stop any um, any drivers you know, disputing their contracts um, and looking for a way out, uh, but it just so happens that you know, doing it that way um, uh, meant that they weren't exposed to that, whereas when SBR got well, effectively and ultimately taken over by Erebus Motorsport... Um, all the drivers and other people there had had you know legitimate outs for their contracts, and as we've seen recently from Shane Van Gisbergen's comments, which of course were vehemently, or well, you know, he, he confirmed pretty much that he he left Stone Brothers, not for all the other reasons, but because he just didn't want to be around, you know, in this period of great change. And I'm putting it that politely, you know, at the time, um, I was pilloried for suggesting that or reporting that, but, you know, he subsequently pretty much confirmed it. And the wonder of all this is that he didn't take the out that was staring him in the face, which was because there was a significant change coming up for the team, particularly when change of management anyway and subsequently change of ownership. You know, he could have walked away from his contract, the new three-year contract that he had signed back in, what, May or so, um, and all driver contracts, you know, have this this get-out clause, you know, their standard agreements. We had all this, you know, um, palaver about, you know, wanting to leave the sport for personal reasons. Um, and he sought and got a release from what was then SBR, um, one of the provisos of which was that he couldn't compete in V8 supercars um, for one year. And then suddenly in the meantime, bingo, he is 
um, well, he is either sought or got or hasn't got an actual release from, you know, that release before from SBR. And this is where it gets very grubby and messy. Um, but there are, I'm hearing very credible reports that, um, you know, Holden basically funded and orchestrated the, all the legal manoeuvrings behind the scenes to get Shane Van Gisbergen in a, in a Holden at a Techno. I mean, why Holden or Holden's Motorsport manager, Simon McNamara, would be so desperate to get him into a Holden. It's not like they're lacking numbers on the grid. I don't know, but that's the scenario that's been portrayed. The whole thing is an absolute mess. And the fans, it'll be interesting to see how they... Uh how they look at the situation as he travels around the country. First up to Sydney, where you can't escape it because they put you down on the grid and then let the fans have at you. Yeah, I think it'll be really fascinating. I mean, you only have to have a look at the various motorsport publications and the sort of comments and and feedback that uh, that they're getting in relation to this. There's a lot of people that are very unhappy. And probably another point that uh, folks may have touched on in, in the past, uh, and, and it's quite obvious as, as someone who's worked in, in the motorsport media and, and continues to do so, that Shane is a bit shy with when it comes to, to the media. Uh, he's not necessarily... Um, you know, someone who comes automatically forward like a, a Craig Lowndes, I think that would be a, a very fair statement. And uh, the irony in all this is that this is probably going to create more more attention for him in both the media uh, and in the public eye in terms of the amount of scrutiny and, and perhaps uh, flack that he'll cop uh, as a result. And I think if he thinks that he's gone to techno for a quieter life, uh, that that probably won't eventuate, particularly... Uh, as we've discussed in this chat, that there are so many unanswered questions as to what exactly did unfold towards the latter of half of, of this year. And, of course, um, who, who knows? Maybe there will be further um, legal ramifications for his move. You just don't know. So uh, it'll be very interesting to how it, it plays out because I'm sure there'll be uh, lots of news hounds out there who, who want answers to these questions. Well, he can certainly, he being Shane Van Gisbergen, can certainly expect me to be wanting to have a chat with him when I run into him at the Bathurst 12 Hours. <laughs> it's all getting to that point where we get to the critical mass and we see some action back on the track. Folks, looking forward to catching up with you very soon, along with John Bannon. Thanks for your time this evening on the V8 Insiders. Look forward Thanks, to Craig. that, Craig. And, uh, John, and hopefully the pre-season test will be uh, as interesting and fascinating as we hope. The White Flag Lap is up next. We speak to another colourful racing identity when Dave Reynolds joins us. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now.
Hi, I'm Tony Delberto for listening to V8 Insiders. This week on the White Flag Lab brought to you by Fujitsu, Australia's leading air. We start a long and interesting chat with David Reynolds. I started by asking him, is he now the lead driver at FPR? Uh, yeah, I'm the only factory Rod Nash racing driver now. <laughs> and they employ some two other blokes to drive another two cars. How has the off-season been? <laughs> as you That's funny out that answer, didn't it? Has there been much of a difference with the attitudes now as you move towards the car of the future in 2013? Or is it really the same old, same old? Um, no, you know, things have changed. You know, there's a there's a head person now in place that works closely with, you know, the team managers and all the managers involved to try and you know, further, further the team and develop ideas and, you know, run a successful business. You know, it's not just a race team, it's a business. And, you know, Rod's, um, Rod's a very astute businessman. He's very good at his job. And I think he'll do a, you know, he's very passionate about it, which you need as well. Especially in motor racing, you need to have passion to do to do a good job. One of the other dynamics that changes is now, you, well, I'm imagining you might not share that whole big hauler to yourself if uh, you've got to take a fourth car with Charlie and Alex Davison on board. Uh, yeah, you know, Charlie's become a customer of our team now. Um, you know, Charlie's a very good character himself, and he's been around for a while. You know, he's won won a championship with James Courtney at Jim at Beam Racing, and you know, Alex is an established driver himself. This is his third chance, and you know, I'm I've raced against Alex in Porsches and a few things before, so I'm you know I'm looking forward to being his teammate again. Mm. One of the things this year we're going to see different is the car of the future, of course, and. I'm wondering, are you liking what you feel? Am I liking what I feel? Yeah, it's, it's honestly hard to say. Generally, you like any car you go really well in or you like any track you go really well in. But I haven't seen any times from any other people or raced anyone yet, so it's sort of hard for me to judge. But I, I generally gen, I do like the feel of the car. It is a bit different. And for me, I did you know adapt a slightly different driving style, which... No, I've, I've benefited, benefited from in testing compared to the other two blokes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking okay for me. You were very successful in the Carrera Cup. A lot of people were saying that these cars might be more like those cars. Is that where you were able to find it because there was similarities or this is all crap not, not, and there's nothing the same? I think they're still... It's still got a lock diff there. It's still a vet supercar, still a lot of vet supercar DNA. The Carrera Cup is very different, very, very different again from what we got. It's, it's, it's maybe a step closer to a Carrera Cup car, but it's still nothing nothing like a Cup car. Um, you know, they're left-hand drive, um, a lot less horsepower, a lot, lot, lot less horsepower, bigger bigger tyres. You know, they just handle a lot differently. The, the, the new cars aren't that much different from the old cars. They're just a bit more... Just the only thing I've noticed is the weight being 50-50. That's the biggest thing I've picked up on. Does that make the car feel better to drive, or it makes such a small difference it doesn't matter? Um, it's, it's, it's different. You know, the cars are under, undeveloped at the minute right now, so it's hard for me to say what exactly what's going on. But you know, over time, you know, maybe a few races in. We'll, we'll be having a different discussion. Knowing that Adelaide's the first race for these cars and knowing how tough Adelaide is, 
is this going to really sort the wheat from the chaff when it comes to the quality of team preparation? Oh, definitely. I think um, it's going to be very different for a lot of teams, and they're going to rock up with not a lot of ideas. But you know, FPI is very fortunate. We've we've built four cars already, and we've had a lot of test days already, so we understand a small part. And I know when they first started with their cars, they were all over the place. Um, and most teams will be in that boat. They won't do many test miles until Adelaide. Um, so, you know, good luck to them. Since Charlie's the customer now and you're the factory driver, do you get the newest car and Charlie gets the first one off the jig? <laughs> um, well, I've, I've taken the very first car they've built. Uh-huh. So their test car is my car and, and everyone else gets a new car. How does that work? So I get the old one. That doesn't sound... No, no, that's, that's nothing bad, you know. That's, um, I've got the more sorted car, I suppose you could say. How much does the chassis make a difference? Because you've seen a lot of good and bad chassis in your time. Yeah, no, it's, mate, they can... Well, that's the fundamental of the car, isn't it? It's the, the building block. If that's twisted or cracked or, you know, fatigued somehow, you know, you're not, you're not going to have the last couple of tents like the other boys, other boys have. Um, it's, it's a very important thing to have a good chassis. How have you looked at your motor racing career in the changes that have gone on in, in your long career? Which people would laugh when I say long career, but you started driving at such a young year. Yeah, in carts, and then have been in and out of so many cars, it goes from being a, a family thing to a semi uh, something you're doing in school, to a semi-professional yeah. thing, to a full professional thing. How have you been able to develop so that you can get your head around what you are now? How do I view my entire career? <laughs> no, no, no. How do no. you view yourself now as a person as much as a race car driver? Um, dude, that's a tough question to ask me. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's why I asked it. Yeah, now you got me thinking. But um, you've had some amazing experiences, and a lot of people that just oh, know your V8 supercar career wouldn't know about the the diversity of cars you've run and, or in rally experiences either. I've only had one. You know, I've had a very diverse career. You know, I've basically stayed in Australia most of it, and I've done the traditional go-karts, Formula Ford, um, and then I went to Carrera Cup which was very good for me because that opened me up into different markets and I could hang with different people and network that way and, and try and leapfrog myself into V8 supercars, which I sort of did. And that got me noticed. And the Carrera Cup got me noticed and then I went on to work at HSV and be part of the Walk and Shore performance, you know, world of HSV thing. And that sort of went well for to a point and then it all fell on its head in 2010. And in 2011... You know, the Kelly Racing team picked me up and I spent a year there and then, you know, there was that ugly breakup and then I moved on to the Ford factory team and, you know, I've landed on my feet here. It's a, it's a very good very good company to work for and, you know, the cars are fast. And I've had many, many, met some very good people along the way and, you know, I've got some good friends out of it. Um, it's a tough question, man. I've become more of myself lately than I ever have before. You... All I do is I just joke around and take the piss out of everyone and have a good laugh. Sometimes, you know, when I'm when I have to be serious, I'm serious. But at the end of the day, it's 
just racing, isn't it? It's racing cars. It's supposed to be fun. But I, people get that. What people like about you, though, is when you put your helmet on, you're a race car driver. When you're out of the car, you're a, you're a knockabout bloke. You have a lot of good times with your friends, and you're not, you know, you you're not 24/7 motor racing. Well, that's a good, good job for Tate. I portrayed. <laughs> no, my life has been 24/7 racing. Um, I just don't let it get to me. You know, you got to have balance. You got to have good friends in your life. You got to put family around you to be sane. We'll continue our chat with David Reynolds next week on the show. My thanks to Fogues, John Bannon, as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.